King. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to Psalm 48. Psalm 48. If you're visiting with us this morning, let me extend to you a warm welcome as well. It is our habit at Woodlawn to take books of the Bible and to preach through books of the Bible, for we believe that each of the 66 books that you and I hold in our hand and the canon of Scripture that we call the Bible are equally inspired, authoritative, and errant words from God. And if we want to rightly know who God is, we must give ourselves to the teaching and preaching and reading of the text of Scripture. So for the last four years, we've been spending 12 weeks in the Psalms, and today we conclude our summer in the Psalms with Psalm 48, and in a few weeks we'll be back to the book of Romans, where we'll pick up in Romans chapter 12. Also, let me encourage you, church family, as we provide a resource for you every week in our worship guide Uh, The worship guide particularly comes in handy, for example, when we sing a song like uh, Jillian and Pastor Laramie had written today, there is a city that stands forever. If you don't know how the song uh, goes, it's going to be really hard to sing it from the screens when you have no music, and we provide that for you, so let me encourage you to use your worship guides as we sing to the Lord, but also, friends, we have provided for you in our worship guides an area for you to take notes. We want to encourage uh, the uh, active listening and participation of the preaching of God's Word. One of the joys of, for example, speaking to our student ministry is Pastor Travis has done such a marvelous job of encouraging that spiritual discipline, and you uh, show up uh, to preach to our students, and there are 45 kids up there. They've all got their Bibles open, their notepads in hand, and their pens ready to take notes, and it's an encouragement to see that taking place. Before we jump into the text of Scripture this morning, I'd like to spend just a few moments and reflect together and be reminded together of our core commitment and common confession of faith. We live in difficult days. We live in difficult days for a variety of different reasons, but like you, I too have been seeing the marked noted increase of COVID cases in our city, in our country, and not only in our city and country, around the world. My perception is that unlike the beginning of this pandemic, the rhetoric concerning COVID is now perhaps higher than it's ever been. Part of that is in relationship to vaccinations, forced vaccinations, voluntary vaccinations. I want to remind us as a church family that Woodlawn Baptist Church is not a pro-vaccination church and we're not an anti-vaccination church. We're not a pro-COVID church and we're not an anti-COVID church but we are a pro-Jesus church that is commanded to carry out the commission of Christ in proclaiming the truths of God's word to one another and to our culture. That mandate has not changed regardless of our current situation. Yet, friends, there is another mandate that we carry. A mandate to love deeply one another. And there are some of you in this church, who have very strong opinions, for example, concerning vaccinations. Some of you strongly believe that everyone, your neighbors, your friends, your family, this church, should receive a vaccination. Others have strong opinions in the other direction, that no one should take a vaccination. And then there are a host of us that are in the middle, We have somewhat of opinion, maybe not an opinion, but I want to remind us of the text of Scripture found in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth, was a divided church along a host of lines. They were divided in the context of worship, what worship should look like. They were divided in terms of the expression of what worship should look like in the context of their church. And Paul wrote to them, the importance the high importance of love in the body of Christ. And church family, I want to make yet another plea to you that we be reminded and we fight for 
and we contend for the unity of the body of Christ, not around my opinion of COVID or your opinion of COVID, but around the word of God. Hear the word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Might this truth of love so permeate the hearts and the minds and the actions and the attitudes of the people of God that this church continues to be known as a church that loves Christ and loves one another. Let's pray. Lord, we pause this morning with thankfulness in our hearts for the joy of being connected to the body of Christ at Woodlawn. We're thankful as each of us have had different experiences, some of us for 50 years, some of us for 20 years, some of us for two weeks. We're thankful for the work of the Spirit of God in the life of this church that for many years has sown about a spirit of unity, of love, and deep devotion toward you and one another. And we pause this morning as a church family to continue our plea that you, Spirit of God, would continue to work about a spirit of unity in the body of Christ at Woodlawn, that the divisions that are ripping apart families and workplaces and communities A division, not of the truth of God's word. We pray, Lord, that you would protect us from it. We pray that we, as your people, would contend earnestly for unity. That we would love well. That we would bear patiently with one another, even in the midst of deep, at times, oftentimes deep, disagreement surrounding COVID. But yet great, deep unity around our common confession of faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. Regardless of our circumstances, Lord, we know that the unity of the body of Christ is only a work of the Spirit. And so we ask you, Spirit of God, to continue that work in our midst, that we as your people would pursue that unity hard ourselves. We pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 48. What a great psalm to conclude our reflection together of the psalms for this summer. As we mentioned last week, Psalm 48 is part of a collection of psalms that find itself from Psalm 46, 47, and 48 in this reflection of God and him being this great and glorious king. Beginning in Psalm 46, we read of God being this one who is this help in times of 
of trouble. We come to Psalm 47 and we are called to rejoice and to worship for God is this one who is most high. He is this one who is exalted above all others. And we come to now Psalm 48. And Psalm 48 is a Psalm of Zion. It's a reflection of the great and glorious city of Jerusalem. And the psalmist uses the depiction of the beauty of the city of Jerusalem, not to point us necessarily to the beauty of the city of Jerusalem, but to point us to the God of the city of Jerusalem. And as we look at this psalm today, might our hearts leap with great joy as we reflect together around this truth of this great God who is himself completely, totally worthy to be praised. This psalm teaches us that God is to be praised because he and he alone has given us his presence and protection. God is worthy to be praised because he has given us his uh, presence and protection fulfilled in Christ in his first and second comings. Notice how the psalmist begins to reflect on this truth that God himself is worthy to be praised. He notes for us here in verses one through three that God is worthy to be praised for his presence. Notice how the psalmist recounts this truth. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. The psalmist depicts God's presence among his people by a beautiful poetic reflection upon the beauty of the city of Jerusalem. I know a number of you have had the opportunity to go to Jerusalem, to Israel, and I must confess, there is something just exceedingly joyful about entering into the city of David, into the city of Jerusalem. As you climb the hills from the Judean desert and you make your way into the city of Jerusalem, the majesty of this city still rings true in the hearts of believers all across the world. But it does so not because Jerusalem is in, in and of herself this magnificent city. Imagine going back to the time of David. We've noted a little bit that David was the one who brought the nation of Israel to the city of David. She, uh, David uh, himself built the city of David, the original city of David, on the lower part of the slope of, of Mount Moriah. And if you go there today, you look at uh, that lower part of Mount Moriah, and you're kind of like, oh, you know, what's the, what's the big deal here? Particularly imagine back during the time of, of David, when there was nothing else surrounding this desolate place. The psalmist is not recounting that the walls around the city of David were in and of themselves necessarily all that glorious or magnificent, for the city of Jerusalem would be absolutely nothing if it were not for the presence of God himself there. You remember God's promise to the nation of Israel, particularly to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises to David that his son would indeed build this temple, but that forever one from the lineage of David would rule and reign over the people of God, culminating in the person of Jesus. But where would that rule and reign extend? Where would the center of that rule and reign be? The city of Jerusalem. Even today, if you go to the city of Jerusalem, many Jews believe that even in the way in which the area is stamped with its imprint of creation is an image of God himself. For flowing on the 
eastern side is the Kidron Valley. And then flowing just to the southern part is, and up around to the western side, is the uh, valley of uh, Hena or Ganom. And then flowing right through the middle of the city of, of David is another small a valley, and if you look at that from a Hebrew lettering standpoint, you get the lettering of Shin, which is uh, in the Hebrew mindset, the image of God, and it's, it's kind of written as I hold up my three fingers here, so they see that the city of Jerusalem is stamped with the Kidron Valley, with the Middle Valley, and with the Valley of Hinnom here. And the indication is, this is itself the very city of God where God himself dwelt. Even if you go today to to Jerusalem, every other uh, Jewish synagogue in the area points toward Jerusalem. Why? It was understood. This is where God is. And so the psalmist is recounting the greatness of God in this image of Jerusalem to remind us that God is worthy to be praised for he has indeed granted to you and me his very presence. Now friends, we don't have to go to Jerusalem today to interact with the very presence of God. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful? You guys are really quiet this morning. I don't have to travel to Jerusalem to experience the presence of God. The Bible tells us, Jesus reminds us that when he ascended, he has given to his people his very presence through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a reminder to you and me that we continually live with the very presence of God. And as believers, this psalm is calling you and me to continually give thanks to God that we have this ever-abiding presence of God himself, not located in a specific city but located all around the world through his people. Today, you and I are this temple of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, as believers, we too should pledge our lives to be one of great praise and admiration for what God himself has accomplished on behalf of of his people. Look how he notes the beauty of Jerusalem, his holy mountain. This is God's mountain. It's beautiful in elevation, and it is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great King Jesus, even in his sermon on the mount to his New covenant people reminds them of the importance, the focus of the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because it is the city of the great king. This place is significant, not because of its geographical location, but because this is the city of God himself, this holy mountain, this mountain that is beautiful in elevation. As you think about mountains, you could head out west or even go to the east, and one of the majestic things, it's captivating, is it not? To see the highest, the biggest mountain. We were in Utah just a few weeks ago, 40 of us on mission, and there were mountains all around us. Uh, Small mountains here, some small mountains here, but some really big mountains here. Guess where our focus usually ended up? on the big mountain, on that glorious mountain. The psalmist is saying we should praise God for he has given us his very presence. Verse three, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. 
God is there. God is present there. This is the joy of the city of God. And we're reminded as we look to the prophets, as they point to the future beauty and glory of this city, of this mountain. We hear the words, for example, in Isaiah chapter two that we've noted before. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and the nation shall flow to it and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his way and that we may walk in his paths. Are people going to be drawn to the city of David, to the city of God, to Jerusalem, because it's just the highest mountain? No, you can go to other places in the world and find a higher mountain. But as Isaiah notes, and the psalmist here notes, what will draw people to the city of God is the very presence of God himself. And Isaiah reminds us that there is a day in which God himself, through the person of Christ, will stand in that city, and he will instruct and teach his people. And we look forward to that day when Jesus comes again. The psalmist only praises God for his presence. In verses four through nine, four through eight, the psalmist praises God for his protection. Look how he writes it. For behold, the kings assembled, they come on together. We don't know what the specific reference is here to the kings of the world gathering and for whatever reason, reason being afraid of this city. But the psalmist depicts this image of these kings that have assembled together. And look what verse five says. And as soon as they saw it, they were astonished. They were in panic. They took flight. Well, we could point to examples throughout the history of Israel, even in the context of our Bibles where foreign nations would gather against the nation of Israel and God would provide protection and the city's, city walls would not be breached. But we could also look to uh, the story of when the Babylonians captured the city of, of David in 586 and completely destroy the temple. We're not exactly sure what the nature of the image is here. But the psalmist is perhaps not looking to recount a very specific scene in which the kings of the nations have gathered against the city of David and flee because of the might of the city of David. No, the psalmist is reflecting that these kings flee not because of the might of the city of David. They flee because God himself is the one who is providing the protection for his people. God himself is the one who is going to provide for and protect his people. Verse six, trembling took hold of them there, anguish as a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. The book of Isaiah again images the, the ships of Tarshish in several different locations for us. The ships of Tarshish were known as the strongest, the mightiest ships that were on the sea. And notice what these ships are doing as they face the might of Yahweh, as they face the might of God. They are shattered. They are torn in two. Verse eight, as we have heard, so, we, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. God is continually making provision on behalf of his people in unexplainable ways that only point to the reality 
that if God had not come through in this situation, God's people would have been destroyed. Look what he says to us in verse 8. We have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. And Psalm 44, verse 1, the psalmist also recounts for us this journey of having heard to having seen. Hear the word of the Lord in Psalm 44. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. The psalmist here in Psalm 48, as he reflects upon the might of the city of David, is again reflecting, as Psalm 44 has done, on, this mar- on these marvelous acts of God, the ways in which God has responded throughout history on behalf of his people. And this psalm is calling the people of God to a point of remembrance, to a point of reflection. Oftentimes, due to the circumstances in which we currently find ourselves in, we can become blinded, can we not? Sometimes it's really difficult to see past right now. Sometimes it's really hard to comprehend that there might even be a tomorrow. The psalmist is calling us in those moments to be sustained by remembering the kind acts of God toward his people. In fact, as this psalm causes the people of God to praise, notice again verse one, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. This word praise means to describe in lavish detail. And the psalmist is saying we should do that greatly in an enhanced way. Why? For we remember in detail the way in which God has so marvelously provided for his people. Would you take a few moments in the margins of your Bible or in the blank pages of the sermon notes in your worship guide, would you take a few moments and remember? Would you take a few moments and reflect? Reflect upon the ways in which God has so provided for you? The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Would you reflect for a moment upon that time in which God provided protection for you through granting you salvation? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that journey? What about the way in which God provided for you an out from a really difficult situation at work? Or maybe that time when you lost your job and you had no employment and everybody else was finding it difficult to find a job because the market was depressed, but God in his kindness provided for you a job. What about that moment We 
when you found yourself lying flat on your back in a hospital room, the only thing you could do was to cry out to God for his provision. And God, in a miraculous, marvelous way, provided protection and healing. Or maybe even that time when what you had so desperately prayed for, God answered in a completely different way that from a human perspective seemed like a tragedy. And through it, God's presence by his spirit protected you and guided you and guarded you and sustained you. Is that God, friends, worthy to be praised? Is that God, friends, worthy for you to devote the entirety of your life in pursuit of him? We have heard, and so we have seen in the city of our God, which God himself will establish forever. You see what the psalmist is saying, friends? We have the promise from God that he will forever be the protection for his people. And so we face a situation like we do today of uncertainty. Will I catch COVID? Will I not catch COVID? Will my life be sustained if I do catch COVID or will my life come to an end if I do catch COVID? Well, friends, can I encourage you this morning to say this to you? Whether our lives are sustained for the next breath or God takes that breath at this very moment does not negate the fact that God is always working on behalf of his people to provide his protection and his presence. And what you and I sometimes understand to be the removal of God's protection or God's presence is in and of itself the very protection and presence of God. We don't have to fear, friends, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Why? Because he has given us himself. Would you rest this morning in the sovereignty of a good God that is continually always given us himself and providing us his protection? And the psalmist says, take a breath. Take a pause. Do you see it right there at the end of verse 8? Selah. Breathe. Trust. In this one who is providing, protecting, and granting to us his presence. And then notice what the psalmist does for us in verses 9 through 14. He calls his people to forever remember, to forever be thankful that he has provided for us his presence and his protection. We have thought on your steadfast love. We've reflected on your very character, God in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the end of the earth. Your right hand is filled with, with righteousness. 
Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this, that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us. Or if you're reading this morning from the NASB, for example, he will guide us beyond death. The psalmist concludes here in verses 9 through 14 and gives a call to the people of God that they might forever remember that God is granting his very presence and his protection forever to his people. Notice how he begins here in verse 9. He does that through reminding us of the very character and nature of who God is. We have thought on your steadfast love. Go back this week and spend some time reading the narrative from 2 Samuel chapter 7 where God makes a promise to King David. And guess what God's provision to King David is? I am going to grant you my steadfast love. I'm going to grant to you my very being, the very character of who I am. A promise from God to always provide himself for his people. You see the language of presence in the midst of your temple. And God's name is one that is to be praised, to be reached to the ends of the earth. Why? The very end of verse 10, your right hand is filled with righteousness. This is a depiction of the very power of God. God's power is righteous. God is always acting in accordance to his very nature. All of God's judgments and actions are right. They are true. They are consistent with the very character of God. He is providing for us his protection. Why? For God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is himself unchanging. A call to always remember to always rejoice. Listen at the language again. Verse 12, walk around Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Take in, perceive her might, her strength, her goodness. Consider her Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels. For what purpose? That you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us beyond the grave. He will guide us eternally. As we reflect The truths mentioned here in verses 9 through 14, we're reminded that God's presence and protection is ultimately fulfilled for us in the person of Jesus Christ in both his first coming and in his second coming. Notice in this psalm, there is this movement from hearing to seeing. There is also this sense in which the seeing is not complete. But there is a sense and a promise from the text that we can indeed move from hearing to a seeing that will indeed one day be complete in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this hearing and seeing is not an event to be soaked up and enjoyed solely by the current people of God, but a hearing and seeing that is to be enjoyed and experienced by the next generation. How does this hearing 
move to a seeing that is complete. In 2 Peter, Peter reflects for us on this very truth of this movement of hearing to seeing. We all understand that to a certain extent. We say things like, I can't believe my ears. I have to see it. If we hear of something that is so great and glorious, what do we do? We say, I've got to go there. Somebody goes to vacation, and they go to, um, to Arizona, and they see the Grand Canyon. And you read pictures or see pictures of the Grand Canyon, and you hear the stories, and somebody tells you about the beauty and the might of the Grand Canyon. You think, man, that's wonderful, but what do you want to do? You want to go see the Grand Canyon, because there's something about seeing Listen to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something we only told you about so that you heard it. Notice what he says. But we were ourselves eyewitnesses of his majesty. Look down at verse 19. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until what? You will do well to pay attention to the hearing of God's word until when? Until your hearing is complete through your seeing. And how will that completeness be fulfilled until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart? Peter is saying until Jesus Christ himself comes and manifests manifests himself among his people for all of eternity, then our hearing will be complete in our seeing. John said it this way in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he has tabernacled among us. The prophet spoke, the people heard, and in Matthew, at Jesus' incarnation, the people see. But you and I are in this same window of time at which the Old Testament saints of God themselves lived. We are living in a period of hearing, but not yet seeing. But the Bible reminds us in Revelation that as God's promise of seeing would be complete in the first coming of Christ, so too will our seeing be complete. Revelation chapter 21, then John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned with her husband. And then notice what he tells us, and I heard, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, 
For the former things had passed. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, Jesus says, And behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12 of chapter 22, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You see, friends, When Jesus comes, our hearing will be completed in our seeing and in our worship of Jesus Christ, who is himself this great and glorious king to which Psalm 48 reflects. Eternity. Life with Christ and the new heavens and the new earth will not be glorious because of the peace that is pervasive. It will not be glorious because the lamb can lay down with the lion. It will not be glorious because the young kid himself can can pick up the snake and, and not be harmed. The new heavens and the new earth will be glorious because this great God and King himself will live for all of eternity among his people. That is what makes eternity great and glorious. That is what makes the city of God so beautiful. Will you join God And in eternity that is complete with seeing because you have trusted in Jesus. This is a psalm worthy of great praise for the people of God, but it's a psalm of great concern for those of you who might be here this morning who have never given your life to faith and trust in King Jesus. This psalm recounts the beauty of eternity. But there's a truth that also stands in opposition to this reality, and that other reality is an eternity separated from a holy, good, gracious God in a place the Bible calls Hell. Where will you spend an eternity? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the revelation of your word. We thank you for the giving of yourself to us through your presence and your protection. We thank you, God, that you have ultimately fulfilled that for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And as your people, Lord, this morning we rejoice. We give you thanks for the specific work that you have done, that you, Jesus, in the bearing of the wrath of God yourself, took to the brutal cross. And there, Jesus, you gave your life But you, Jesus, gave your life so that by your word and through your spirit, we might have life. So we thank you, God, this morning. For your presence and for your protection. Would you spend a few moments where you're seated this morning with your head bowed and just reflect on the preaching of God's word? Believer, do you spend your life and your energies in this way, giving praise to God? Do you find yourself continually thanking God for his protection, for his provision? Parents, do you recount for your children the ways in which God has acted on your behalf? 
the ways in which God has acted on behalf of his people throughout history through his word? Do you spend time grounding yourself and your family? Grandparents, when you get moments and time with your grandchildren, are you pouring into them the eternal truths of this psalm of reflecting on the goodness and the greatness of God? Christian, are you recounting that goodness to those around you so that they too might join us in an eternity that is filled with the very presence of this glorious king himself? Friend, have you trusted in Christ today? If you're here today and you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Christ to cast yourself at the very mercy of God, we would plead with you today. As the Bible says, today is the day of salvation for tomorrow is not promised. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you trust in Jesus today? Would you believe that he is God's son? Would you believe that he died on the cross for for you, that he atoned for your sins? Would you trust that he has risen from the grave? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's word. If you're here today and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, Myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front as we sing. Please feel free to come visit with one of us or friend. There are plenty of people seated next to you in this room that would be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. Please feel free to also find one of us at the end of the service. Secondly, maybe you would like for us to pray with you today. No greater way for us to shepherd your heart than by praying for you. We would pray that the truths of this scripture might Indeed, indeed, be evident in your life that your life would be one of devoted praise to God, of trust in his sovereignty, thankfulness for his provision and protection. We would delight in praying with you. Or thirdly, maybe God has placed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. God, as we respond corporately to you now, may our response be pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.